Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful that you're here this evening. Very thankful for your presence tonight. I know that uh, it seems like it ought to be later. When I was on my way here this evening, it seemed like it was pitch black, pitch black outside. It seemed more like midnight than 5.45 or 5.30. I do want to say how much I appreciate you coming back tonight. As always, we are very grateful for your presence. We encourage you to come regularly. We're very grateful for those who do come on a regular basis. Uh, if you're visiting with us, as always, we want to invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. The passage that Tim read a moment ago in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is going to serve as the basis for our study together tonight. And tonight, what I want us to do is examine three basic, fundamental, philosophical questions that many, many people have asked for years. This past week, I was watching a clip on television, and the clip was that uh, of George Harrison, who is a, or was a former Beatle. Many of you are familiar with his music, in which he asked, where do we come from? What are we doing here? Where are we going? And I thought, those are the questions that people have about life. We all want an answer to those questions. And so tonight, what we want to do is address these questions. And you think about the tug of war, so to speak, that's going on in our world today, between the physical and the metaphysical, between the spiritual and the material. And so what we have to do is somehow extract or remove ourselves from life as we see it and begin asking the real questions, questions that ultimately have an impact or bearing on the quality of life that we enjoy now, as well as the hope that we have beyond this life. And so tonight in our study, I want us, I want us to just ask three basic questions, questions that many people have asked. And you think about some of, the, some of the discussions that we have with people in our world today. The questions that we're dealing with tonight are questions that everyone wants an answer to. And the first question, where did we come from? And there are really only two logical, plausible answers. Either we are the products of evolution or secondly, we are the products of creation. I mentioned this tug of war. And there are a lot of people in our world today when it comes to defining our origin. Where did we come from? Their perception is that we are the products of evolution. Some would say that you are the product of chance. Wayne Jackson wrote some years ago, I think it's an excellent statement made by him, he said the most insidious and damaging ideology ever foisted upon the mind of modern man is the notion that human beings are but animals and the offspring of other more primitive creatures. It is known as the theory of organic evolution. One encyclopedia says with regard to evolution, 
The virtually infinite variations of life are the fruit of the evolutionary process. All living creatures are related by descent from common ancestors. Lineages of organisms change through generations. Diversity arises because the lineages that descend from common ancestors diverge through time. So when we talk to people today and as we think about all of the different realms of society that are about us, consider how many, many people in our world today, if you were to ask them point blank, where did you come from? They would tell you, I am the product of evolution. Make no mistake about it, many, many educators, individuals who are in the realm of science or field of science, they have come to the conclusion that this is how life began. Interestingly, many of those who are in the academic realm that have made this conclusion and who teach in universities and other learning centers across our universe or across our country, those that foist this theory, the conclusion by some is, well, if they said it, it must be true. I mean, after all, they're intelligent. They have, uh, they've got a terminal academic degree. They have studied. They know their material, so it must be true. But the question is, is it true? I would remind all of us tonight that when we talk about evolution, it is nothing more than a theory. That's all it is, a theory. And many will, will affirm the fact, as a matter of fact, many of those who believe in evolution, they will tell you it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in the creation account. So as we think about where do we come from? Are we the products of evolution? Now, the second alternative is that we are the products of creation. There is an old argument that has been used down through time. I think it's a well-used argument. It simply says design demands a designer. And that's true. This building, in order for it to exist, required materials, required builders. It did not just appear. By the same token, the world in which we live did not just appear. Why? Because design demands a designer. Think for a moment about the world in which we live. When we step outside this building and look at heaven's canopy and you see the stars and the moon and during the daytime you see the sun, is that not evidence of an almighty God? I mean, didn't David say centuries ago, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork? The creation itself lends testimony that there is a God. And so we talk about that which can be seen visibly. What about the human family? In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. In verse 26, the plural, us, is used. 
underscoring the fact that the Godhead had a part in creation. We know that Jesus was the agent by which the world was made. But you remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God said that He created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. What is it that separates us from the animal kingdom? It's the fact that we are a dual being, in the sense that housed within us is an eternal soul or spirit. A spirit that will live forever. Where'd that come from, Almighty God? Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 9? The writer said that God is the Father of our spirits. So we're the products of God. In Psalm 139, David in the long ago talks about the omniscience of God, the fact that God is all-knowing. And he said, there is not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows all, he sees all, doesn't he? In that same context, he talks about the omnipresence of God, the fact that God is literally everywhere. And he asked the question, where can I flee from your spirit? And the bottom line is there is nowhere that we can go to escape the presence of God. But then down in about verse 14, David comments on those of us who belong to the human family. And here's what he said, that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. We talk about the complexity of the universe in which we live. And the fact that our universe is held in check. There is a sense of balance or symmetry. Our universe operates according to laws, laws of nature. Who's responsible for all of that? Is it just chance? I would submit to you that God is the one that holds all things in place. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer said that God upholds all things by the word of his power. But the human family, the body, the mind. David said, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. There's something unique about us. I would encourage you in the next few days, spend some time and look at, look at what science has to say about our eyes, our hearing, the human brain the heart. I mean, all of these point to a creator, to a creator, do they not? So as we ask the question, where did we come from? In my mind, there are only two plausible possibilities. The first is that we are the products of evolution. The second is that we are the products of creation. I mentioned a moment ago that God has revealed himself to us through creation, has he not? There's abundant testimony for the fact that there is a God based on the universe. But then what about revelation? How would we know anything about the character or the mind of God without revelation? We wouldn't, would we? And yet, the Apostle Paul in the long ago talks about how those of us who belong to the human family are extremely important to Almighty God. We are, in fact, the, the crown of His creation. So when mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, what did God do? God immediately began putting into place His redemptive plan. That's how much He thought of us. That 
plan included the sending of his son. So Paul would say, God who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about how he received revelation from God. And he said he took that revelation and wrote it down in human words so that when we read, we might understand the knowledge of this mystery. That mystery was simply that the Gentiles were to be included in God's redemptive plan. But God has communicated to us His will, His word, His ways. And again, that's what sets us apart from the animal kingdom. So first the question is, where did we come from? There is a second question that we need to answer. It's a question that many people are asking today. What are we doing here? There are a lot of people in our world today, quite frankly, have no idea what their purpose is on planet Earth. There are many, many folks in our world today, they're struggling with that question. What am I doing here? Many because of a failure to understand that basic question have terminated their existence because they feel as if life is futile. Now as we think about what we're doing here, there are really only a couple of possibilities. The first would have to do with the gratification of self, wouldn't it? In other words, it's all about the material. And there are a lot of people in our world today, their idea is this is a once-in-a-lifetime deal, so you better enjoy life and enjoy it to its, to its fullest. And I don't have any problem with people enjoying life and enjoying life to its fullest. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 that those who would see good days and enjoy life. I think God wants us to be happy in life. But what about from the material vantage point? The materialist would say, what you need to do is find immediate satisfaction. Now let me just say this. If all that matters is the here and now, then why not just follow the advice of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32? Do you remember when Paul made the case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in light of that resurrection, Paul said that we too will one day come forth from the grave. But in verse 32 of that chapter, Paul would say, look, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink. Why? For tomorrow we die. And the idea is you are just a material creature, nothing more to life, so just enjoy it. Eat and drink for tomorrow you die. Now, how many people in our world today are looking for purpose, a sense of purpose in their lives? I'd say millions upon millions. And there are a lot of things that people experience in life in that quest to find satisfaction or, as we would say, the purpose of life. Now you can look at, we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 tonight. And there are some basic fundamental things that people search for in life. And in, in their heart of hearts, in their mind, 
The idea is that if I could somehow latch on to this or that, that's going to be fulfilling. It's going to somehow scratch my itch, if you please. So, back up for just a minute. This is not new to you, not new to any of us. But look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon the writer here said, I the preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Solomon welded great power on earth. As a matter of fact, he was, he was the successor to the throne of his father David, the third king over the United Kingdom. And David, of course, was a man after God's own heart. And David gave very wise advice to Solomon. Solomon sadly didn't follow necessarily the advice that his father had given him. But here Solomon says, look, I the preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Are there not people in our world today that are on a power trip? I mean, it's all about power. That's what, they're, that's what life's all about to them. Are there not individuals in our world today in their heart of hearts, they're thinking, you know what, if I could become powerful and if I had absolute power or might, I know I'd be happy. Drop down, look at verse 16. Solomon said, I commune with my heart saying, look, I've attained greatness. Solomon speaks here of his greatness. He was a man of tremendous popularity or prominence. Do you remember Jesus in talking about Solomon in the long ago? Said that the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And her response to what she saw, the half hasn't been told. This guy was something, wasn't he? Are there not people in our world today, whether it's in, in the field of sports, science, medicine, entertainment, are there not people in our world today that are doing everything within their power to carve out a name for themselves? And in their mind, they're thinking, you know what, if I could just become a household name, then surely I'd be happy in this life. And then drop down if you would, look at chapter 2. In chapter 2, Solomon talks about all of his tremendous possessions. Verse 4, I made myself, or rather I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. He said, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. Listen, this guy was wealthy. Extremely wealthy. His palace alone took 13 years to build. You tell me that wasn't a place to live in? I mean, that place must have been something. So this guy, I mean, think about it. He's got power. He's prominent. He's a household name. He's got possessions galore. And then... Drop down, look at verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. So the fourth acquirement of Solomon was pleasure, wasn't it? Can you imagine having the financial ability to, to simply go into any store, you name it, go anywhere, anytime, any place. Whatever you see and you want, what do you do? You get it. That's what Solomon said. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not withhold from them. Are there not people in our world today that will tell you, you know what, if I could just have a little bit more, I'd be happy? I mean, isn't that what life's all about? The accumulation of things? That's what people, that's what people talk about today. Drop down, look at verse 17. Solomon had all these things. He had the very things that in our world today we think will make us happy and listen, give us a sense of purpose. But here's what Solomon said, Therefore, in light of all these things, I hated life. Are you kidding me? You hated life? That's right. You see, there, there was this quest to satisfy the material. And look, I get it. Is there something appealing about power and popularity and possessions galore and pleasure? Yes. But is that all there is to life? Solomon, I mean, imagine if you can, Solomon going into his laboratory and he is running all these experiments and he's looking for the meaning of life. And we're asking the question, what are we doing here? And that's what Solomon is asking. What am I doing here? What's my purpose in life? Is it just the material? You know what Solomon would have said? Material. The material does not satisfy. That's what he's saying. A friend of mine said many years ago, I've shared this with you before and I'll say it again. Somebody said a long, long time ago, if there is anything we've ever learned from history, it is that we have not learned from history. Now let that sink in for a minute. We're talking about a guy that lived hundreds of years ago. Wrote it down in a book for us. And Solomon is saying, look, these things, if you think they're going to give you purpose and meaning to life, you're mistaken. Do you remember over in chapter 5? Solomon said, those who love silver, listen to him, will not be satisfied with silver. You know what he's saying? If you think that if you can get a million dollars in the bank, that's going to satisfy you, you are wrong. If you got one, what are you going to want? Two, right? That's what he's saying. We're never, we're never happy when it comes to the material. Now, there's a second possibility. The first is immediate satisfaction, and we, we find immediate satisfaction many times in the world, the material side of life. The second possibility is to look at life through spiritual lens. In other words, to look at life from a different perspective. To invest in the spiritual. Now, you think about, as I said a moment ago, this tug of war that's going on in the world today. And the world is pulling at us in 
The world is saying you need more of this and more of this and you need to do this and experience that. And we live in a day and time in which if we're not careful, the spiritual side of life can, can, can become non-existent. In, in the lives of many people, it's been snuffed out. What Solomon is going to say is, look, there's something about the spiritual dimension of life that will give you that sense of purpose or meaning to life that you're looking for. So with that in mind, look at verse 13. Solomon now is going to draw his conclusions. He's been running a series of experiments and now he's going he's to share his conclusion with all of us. And here it is. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. All right, Solomon, what is life all about? What are we doing here? Here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Some translations say, for this is man's all. That's what life's about. That's what he's saying. Now, let me give you a couple of, let me just share with you a couple of examples. I mentioned a moment ago Solomon and Solomon's quest to find meaning and purpose in life. Do you remember in Luke chapter 12, Jesus told a parable about a rich farmer? And Jesus said this man's barns were bulging. Life was good. Business was booming. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater. And then he said, I'm going to stockpile. And then sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. That was, his, that was the thrust of his life, wasn't it? It was all about business, all about the material side of life. And so Jesus said, look, tonight your soul's required. And all these things that you've accumulated, whose will they be now? So he talks about those who lay up treasure for themselves on earth. Contrast that to a fellow by the name of Moses. You remember him? And do you remember what the Hebrew writer said about him in chapter 11? How he forsook the treasures in Egypt, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. What did he do? He made a choice, didn't he? So can we find purpose in our existence here on life, or rather on earth? I think the answer is yes, we can. Solomon said, look, if you want to find purpose and meaning to your existence, what you need to do is invest in the spiritual side of life. Could I ask you a question? Can you be happy and content living for God and glorifying Him? Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Many, many years ago, Paul said, godliness with contentment, listen to him, is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain. We can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing, with these, he said, we shall be content. And then he talked about the dangers of wanting to become rich and the, the dangers associated with the love of money, how it's the root of all kinds of evil, which some men having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And he said, been led astray from the faith. 
What Paul is saying is, if you want to be content in life, invest in the spiritual, isn't he? It's about a godly life in Christ Jesus. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. And Paul was in prison. And he's writing to saints in the first century. The time was about AD 62 or 63. And here he is writing from a Roman prison cell. And do you know what that man said? I have learned in whatever state I am, amen, therein to be content. What was the key to his contentment? A godly life? To understand that there is purpose in life. And you look, look, at, the life of, look at the life of the Apostle Paul. The tremendous influence that he welded upon earth. And you, you think about all the congregations that he had a part in starting. The countless numbers of lives that he influenced for good. The people that came to know the Lord Jesus Christ because of his efforts, his work, his ministry, his missionary endeavors. You think there was some satisfaction there? And don't you think the Apostle Paul could say, you know what? There's something about following the Lord and living for Him that gives me a sense of purpose and direction. It gives me something to live for day in and day out. Listen, there are people in our world today, you, you, you know this. There are folks in our world, as we speak right now, and they're powerful, and they're, they're a household name, they're popular, and they've got more possessions and, and, and goods than they'll ever use in 10 lifetimes. And pleasure, they've had it. But you know what? They're not happy. They're not happy at all. They're depressed. They're discouraged. They're cynical and bitter. And many are trying to somehow escape the very existence that they created. In other words, their lifestyle. So, there's something, there's something a lot more than just the here and now. Now, there's a third question we want to ask. And that is, where are we going? And really, this is what matters. Where are we going? Where are you going? What about our outcome? When it's all said and done, the smoke clears, where are we headed? I mentioned a moment ago the two possibilities of our origin. First, evolution. Secondly, creation. I, I remember reading some years back a story about the wife of a very famous atheist or agnostic, Carl Sagan. And she talked about his death. And let me just say right up front, it was depressing to read. She said because toward the end, and she's talking about her husband and herself, and she said, we knew this was it. This is it that we will never see one another again because in their, in their mind, when life is over, it's over. Gone forever. Now, 
How'd you like to have that, that kind of uh, outlook on the future? I mean, when, when you're dead, you're dead. So where are you headed? Where are we headed? I mean, it's one thing to ask where did we come from. It's another thing to ask what are we doing here. But the third question, where are we going? And really, that's what matters, isn't it? And it goes back to understanding our purpose. If you understand your purpose in life, then things are going to be right so that you know where you're going. Now the Bible tells us that the world that we know will one day come to an end, right? The Bible speaks in a very candid way of the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven. The consummation of all things. Paul said that the Lord would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. So the Lord's coming. When the Lord Jesus comes, as he said in Matthew chapter 25, he will come accompanied by all of his holy angels. All nations will be brought before him. And then he will begin to separate the sheep from the goats. And the Bible says that he'll say to those on the right hand, Come you, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To those on the left hand, he's going to say, Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Now, where are you going? Where are you headed? Isn't that a powerful question? Where are we going? I mean, there are only two possibilities. Either we're going to heaven or we'll go to hell. And Jesus said hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, so hell wasn't prepared for us. The Lord wants us to be saved, doesn't he? How much comfort is there well, I mentioned Carl Sagan's wife. Imagine how dark and foreboding that funeral service must have been. No hope, no expectation on, on her part of ever seeing her mate again. You talk about sad and dismal. The flip side of that is when we go to the cemetery to bury a loved one who has died in Christ, isn't there hope? Listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 in verse 7. At death he said, the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. I really don't know how many funerals I've conducted this year but several. And to be very honest, it's never easy. It's easier when somebody is a Christian, obviously. But I think about people that I have conducted a funeral service for, and the hope, the optimism, that we have when we go to the cemetery. 
to know that, yes, we're placing a body in the ground, but that's not the end of the story, is it? To know that there is hope beyond this veil of existence. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? When he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul would say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So, where are we going? Only two possibilities. And the only possibility that offers any semblance of hope is to die in Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, speaking of those patriarchs of the past, these all died, listen to him, in faith. John said, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Look, everybody wants, everybody wants something better than this life. We all do. Is there something better? Yes. We were not created to be here forever. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 13, we have here no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. It was said of those ancients of old, they look for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. So where are we going? I hope we're going to heaven. Don't you? Don't you want to go to heaven? So here's how, do you, here's how to go to heaven. Obey the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of every sin. Confess His name before others. Be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. Acts 2 verse 38. Let God put you in the church and then be faithful until death because He has promised all of us a crown of life that fades not away. If you're here tonight and as a child of God, maybe you have lost your sense of purpose in life. You've been living for the material and not the spiritual. And you've bought into what the world has to offer and you've forgotten about the Lord. Won't you come back to Him? Won't you come back to God who will abundantly pardon every sin, take you back, enjoy fellowship with Him and have that hope of heaven before you as we stand and sing.